Welcome to the Let's Talk Data podcast series presented by SAP, where we explore game-changing technology and strategies with leading experts with the goal of maximizing the value of data across your organization. If you haven't done so already, please follow or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel to stay tuned in. Welcome everyone to our SAP Let's Talk Data podcast, Data's Credibility Problem. My name is Autumn Moss from the Global Product and Solution Marketing Team here at SAP, and joining me is my colleague, Kim Huth-Sigler. Hi everyone, welcome. Let me start by once again introducing Dr. Thomas C. Redman, and he is known as the Data Doc. Tom, thanks so much for joining us yet again today. For those that may not know Tom or missed our first two podcasts with him, he is the president of Data Quality Solutions, and his company helps people and businesses realize the enormous opportunity their data offers and teaches them how to set up their organizations to become data-driven. So welcome, Tom. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, this is going to be a great session. Well, I, as always, I love to start our discussion with a little bit of background on the articles that we're going to talk about. Um, so before we jump into our questions, I'd love to know a little bit about what you were thinking 10 years ago when you authored the article, Data's Credibility Problem. Uh, so, so data's credibility problem. Look, I mean, th th this to me was was one of those big things in my career, and and in some respects for a lot of people who really who really contributed. But a a print article in in Harvard Business Review is is a big deal, and uh, you know the editors are so so selective, and and they know their audience so so well, and they only pick things that are are really really important to really senior levels in organizations. And and so, you know, I've been working on data quality longer than I care to admit. And and when this article, when we were asked to do this article and, and wrote this article, it was like, you know, data quality has arrived. I mean, it is a legitimate thing. Senior people in companies ought to be ought to be worried about it. And I, and you know, I mean so it took a long time to get there. I felt a, a measure of vindication for myself, for members of the data quality lab who who left uh, things early in their career to come work on data quality for others around the world who've worked on data quality. And and so, you know, what was on my mind was was in, you know, about 1700 words, putting together the most powerful case for data quality and then uh, clarifying exactly what it is that uh, senior leaders need to do to enjoy the benefits of, of high quality data. Well, that is incredibly helpful. And it actually, I think, is a great segue into my first question. So one of the things that popped up when I read the article was how you talked about Chevron, uh, who have of course is an energy giant to the company and it's it's a huge company but they were receiving bad data cause and it caused a huge shortfall in information for drilling new wells and if those wells were completed on budget you go on to explain that a veteran manager was put into place to manage the assessment of the data she really had a goal of 100% data accuracy within two years, and she actually achieved it. In the grand scheme, two years isn't really that long. So why are more companies not 
buckling down and just doing the dirty work to to scrub this data and figure out where the problems are. Right. So, so I really love the question, and but but I want to just pick on on one part of it a little bit because you know you describe data quality as as the dirty work, and um, and you know other people say well data quality is not sexy and so forth, but look I found just the opposite. There is nothing worse then coming in every day and having to clean up data so you can do your job. And, and I mean, in the case of, of Chevron, it's just like if you don't have the information about the well correct, then it's hard to service it. It's hard to you know develop it in such a way that you, you get the maximum amount of oil in the cleanest way out of it. You know, if something goes wrong, like always, you know, does happen, like it's time to replace a pump and you can't find the well. I mean, it's really, really frustrating. And as we've talked about in this series before, so many people are spending so much of their day finding and correcting simple data errors just so so they can do their job. And, and my experience has been that when they get out of that mode and then they go attack the root causes of those data errors and make them go away forever, it is empowering, right? There is nothing grubby about this at all. And I really want to, you know, if we can change this impression, from my perspective, data quality is C-O-O-L, all in capitals, cool. And, um, And I realize in saying that, you know, there's no person more biased than me uh, in the whole world about saying data quality is cool. But this is just what I see when I work with people in companies and I see how what happens to them when when they switch on to to data quality. So, I, I mean, again, I don't mean to pick on that too much, but but then your description of the manager, I mean, it's exactly right. Um, Nikki Chang was her name. I believe we mentioned her, her name in the article. And and um, she's it's not just assessment, right, right? She's got to make it so that the data about new wells is coming in perfect and, and doing so across 15 companies all over the world with diverse priorities, um, all kinds of different management approaches and and so forth. And and, you know, something like that, it, it did take a while, but as you say, I mean, even if it takes two years to get out of cleanup forever, it is a, a really, really big deal. And um, look, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out what does it take to get companies to embrace data quality? And then, so let's just, you know, ask ourselves, well, what did Chevron have that, um, this part of Chevron have that others don't. And so, by the way, Chevron's not the only example. And and I think the most single best description is is they had courage. People in Chevron had the courage to admit they have had a problem, and they had the courage that was necessary to make the changes they had to make so that they could address those problems. Right. And and it really boils down to, you know, courage at both the individual and department or uh, division or company level is is, you know, in my view, thinking about them and, and thinking about plenty of others, that's what they had that others don't. Um, 
No, that's interesting that that you bring up up courage that they they just went ahead and made the decision. They said today is the day we're going to make this decision to to scrub this data, to fix the data, to make it um, better than it was before. And, you know, to our point, two years when you're thinking about, um, you know, business processes or even a, a strategy, it's really not that long. And she was able to to make this happen so quickly. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, I, th- I, I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's business processes where two years is is ten forevers, and then there's other business processes where two years is 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 a microsecond kind of thing. And and in Chevron's case, that you know, that's you know, is is certainly the case. Um, but but again, I mean, the point about like, you know, once you buckle down and tackle these problems, it really does not take very long. Absolutely. But, by the way, Kim, I want to make a point. And and I mean, again, I, I, I study this, maybe I overstudy it, but it is really easy for people and companies to find reasons not to show this courage. Right. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's easy to underestimate the extent of the problem, right, without making any any measurements. Well, you know, people will conclude, yeah, but we're better than our industry average. Or it's easy to underestimate the cost of the issue. It's easy to misdiagnose the problem as a tech problem when it's really a business problem. Um and and I mean, it's easy to get seduced by, you know, voices that are calling out, well, just buy our tool and 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 things will magically appear. Right. So, but it takes it. I mean, this business of staring through that and seeing, admitting that we have a problem and recognizing, I mean, even if you are better than the industry, well, it may not be meeting your needs. And and so, OK, we're going to step up. And as you said it, you know. Okay, what we did yesterday was fine, but starting today, right, we are going to attack these problems mm-hmm. aggressively. Yes. yes, yes, definitely. And I love, Tom, how you said it was empowering, empowering to make changes, empowering to correct. Um, I, I really, really love how you stated that. And then, of course, data quality is cool. Definitely agree. So, Tom, let's talk a little bit about stopping and correcting the bad data versus cleaning up the bad data. Those appear to be two completely different work streams. In your experience, when bad data is discovered, are they working concurrently or does a correction need to be made before cleaning up bad data can even happen? Yes. So, so when you say cleaning up bad data, what, I, what I'm, I assume you're referring to is is fixing the business process so that it doesn't create bad data as and, you know, going forward as opposed to cleaning up the errors you've already made. And 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 so and the practical reality is is business doesn't get to stop. Right. I mean, if you're Chevron, you're still going to drill wells every day. Right. If you're you know, if you're a bank, you're still going to sign up new customers every day. If you're a retail company, you're still trying to sell your product. And and so I, I like to think of it as is you've got two kinds of data quality issues. You've got the errors that you've already made and you've got the errors that you're you're going to make today and tomorrow and the next day unless you do something about those. And and obviously, you know, you have to find and fix the errors in the data you've already made. 
But the other, you know, as uh, you know, the, the work to prevent new ones from coming. If you got to you, you got to start that you got to start it now. And as a practical reality, people will be working on both in parallel for a certain amount of time. That's a really great point about the errors that have already been made versus the errors that have yet to be made um, unless you do something about it. Um, You know, again, those kind of seem to be two different work streams, but they do have to work together um, in order to to make a correction. Am I correct in that? Yeah, well, when you say make a correction, I mean to make the business run smoothly. Right. And I mean, sometimes the work is conducted by different people. So if you if you get the data associated with the well wrong, it may not be people who are drilling the well who pay the price, but those who are trying to service the well. And and so, you know, so 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 they, they're separate work streams in the sense that different people are doing the cleanup work versus, you know, working to prevent future errors. And yes, yeah, you have to do both. So, so, so if there's if there's bad data out there, it's not like well we can just use it. Um, if the location of the well's wrong, it's not like you can send somebody out there with a pump, and then they go to the wrong they go to the wrong location and and they can't do their work. And so, you know you've you've got to you've got to correct stuff so that you can do today's work. For sure, Autumn. Did you have any questions or any? Anything that came I to mind? I actually do. I actually do, Tom. This is a, a complete random question, but just out of curiosity, as far as like the biggest threats that really cultivate trustworthy data, do you feel like it's inaccurate data, inconsistent data, or just missing and duplicate data? What do you feel like is the the biggest cause? Well, so look, I I, I look at data quality as is is the data. You know, the data's got to meet your need, and if it doesn't meet your needs, it's it's hard to trust it. I mean, depending on you know what you're trying to do, your your quality requirements may be pretty darn skinny and easy to meet, or or they may be pretty complex. But by and large, if they're not all met, then you don't trust the data, and frankly, in my view, nor should you trust the data. Well, you know. I think what is one of the most fascinating elements of this article to me is that this is a 10-year-old article. You wrote this in, in 2013. Right. Way back then, 10 years ago, you were able to identify a problem that was so profound, but yet here we are and it's still happening. We can all agree, I'm fairly certain, that we are inundated with bad data from so many different walks of our life, from our personal lives, professional lives, if we're parents or um, career people. There's so many different ways that we're inundated with bad data, but we're still accepting it and we're doing very little about it. What's it going to take to make the change, to, to have any kind of improvement? So look, I mean, I think that's really, you know, that that that's the really important hard, hard question. I mean, it does feel like we're all kind of like, you know, frogs that are in in a pot of water and the temperature is slowly being turned up, and we kind of don't, you know, don't notice it. We've kind of all become, you know, really, really tolerant of of, of bad data and and um, you know and 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 just you know kind of getting cooked and. And and killing things. And so, by the way, I mean, it's not just 
it's not just the data quality is bad. It's you can't use the data, right? You can't you can't feed bad data into a training model for an AI um, an AI exercise. And of course, you know nothing's hotter than than AI. So, but look, the, the bottom line is is plenty of individuals and some organizations have have displayed the courage, right? And 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 for me. On the individual side, I, I think the thing for individuals is to see an opportunity. And, and maybe the opportunity is no more than if I can call this problem out in my organization and I can get in front of it and help solve it, I'll get the next promotion, right? I'll get that promotion I've wanted for, for so many years. Um, and and, um, and and it's, by the way, almost all of the individuals that I know who really started data quality problems, it was, it was something personal like that. It may not have been promotion. It may be that, you know, there's some problem that's just nagged at them for, for a long time. I think in the corporate side, unfortunately, I, I, I think the bottom line is companies as a whole respond more to fear than they do opportunity. And I don't think many U.S. companies anyway have really faced existential threats since the manufacturing quality revolution. So, I mean, you know, and that's probably before your time, but the, you know, Japanese competitors such as Toyota and, and, and Sony, I mean, they threaten the entire automotive and consumer electronics industries. And, and some companies stepped up and, and, you know, really responded to that and, and others didn't. And yet now they're a shadow of themselves, right? So, so I, 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 I'm, I'm sort of torn here. At the moment, I don't see an existential threat that is going to, you know, really motivate companies in that way. I am hopeful though, right, that that you know companies are going to make a link between data quality and improved performance. And and maybe that link will come from AI or maybe it'll you know come from blockchain or maybe it will come from you know, needing to take cost out of uh, out of the equation. Maybe it'll come from the need to to innovate, but it's like everything you want to do depends on 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 quality data, and and so you know also maybe it'll be this weird combination of we want to pursue this opportunity, but I fear we won't be able to because because the data is bad, and um, you know and again I mean AI is 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 just a perfect case in point. Everybody now, not literally everybody, but you know, they want to train generative models using their data. But if their data is in bad shape, then those models are, 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 are going to be pretty bad. So right now, the, the biggest sort of opportunity slash fear, I think, is around, around quality and AI and, and the business, you know, the business gains that will will be left behind by those who don't take on quality. Wonderful. I mean, it's such a a huge topic, but really so important. So important to um, personal and professional data. The good news is I think anybody can start um, 
start data programs within their span of control. Um, and in our company, you know, we we've coined the term the data generation for for those who've you know started that and start them in their in their personal life as as well. Hey, can I make one more point? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) We may have talked about this earlier in in the series, but, you know, the the, um, I saw an article in the the Economist just the other day, and it really reminded me of this. But, you know, there is a lot of great technology out there. Right. And, you know, you you know, some of it provided by you, by others and, and, and so forth. But but productivity ought to be booming. Right. But it is not. Productivity gains have stalled at least for the last 15 years. And and I think the reason is bad data. Data is becoming increasingly important. People spend more and more time, you know, trying to use it. But but you you simply cannot take advantage of the technologies that are out there without high quality data. All right. Now, now, frankly, in my view, tech companies have avoided this discussion. Right? So, you know, you're putting out stuff and and maybe they're unaware, but I kind of think at least some of them or some people are aware that, that you need high quality data to to get full benefit of our stuff. And now it may not slow down. The, they don't want to slow down the sale. So so that so they may not want to bring that up. Right. But. But I think the tech companies that recognize and fully embrace that the long-term, their long-term future, that the, 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 the success of their stuff depends on data quality, and they fully embrace this point, I think they're going to have a terrific future. And frankly, I think it is highly significant that we, meaning me and SAP, are doing this series on data quality together. And I hope that that you know you and we can create, you know, it's a real change in the way uh, tech products get positioned. Absolutely agree. Wonderful. Thank you for Tom for for adding that additional information. I think it 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 makes a really great point that you know we're we're getting out there and the future is bright if if the changes are willing to be made. Wonderful point. So Tom, it's always a pleasure, um, you know, you taking the time to spend with us here. And and I'd like to thank everyone for joining our SAP Let's Talk Data podcast. Um, so Tom, tell us about your book, People and Data, and when we can expect it. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that. I mean, People and Data is out in most of the world now. It is out officially in the U.S. The uh, people, people in data. Look, the the bottom line is this: is that you know we've been talking about technology, we've been talking about data, but we've ignored the most important component, which is people. And and I've done a lot of work over the last couple of years to to you know to really understand why progress is so slow. And and there's a lot of reasons, but the number one reason is that we have failed to include everybody. So we've failed to, you know, get everyone involved. And it's too many, like, digital transformation efforts view people as part of the problem. And and um, and the whole point of people and data is, 
is to say, you know, look, the only solutions are going to come through people and and to really encourage uh, people. You know, comp- First of all, I mean, to encourage people, no matter who you are, right, jump out. There is enormous opportunity for you individually to make a mark, to, you know, to improve your job and your performance and, and your pr- prospects. And then secondly, to, you know, to really, I mean, a little bit of a preachy, come on, companies, you know, you've got to include people. Here's what you need to do, right? It's, and, and I hate to be preachy on, on this, but, but as we try this idea, almost everybody goes, yeah, we've ignored the people stuff too long. And so that's what people takes up. And so first of all, it says, hey, you got to get on this with people and and here's the way to get them involved. Here's the way to organize for data, putting people front and center. Absolutely, that's huge. Again, Tom, thank you so much. We always really enjoy these conversations and um, thank you for everyone for joining. I also encourage you to take a look at the additional resources available within the description and also please subscribe to the series and stay tuned for new episodes and get caught up on any ones that you may have missed. Thank you so much for joining. Be well. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Check out the show notes for additional links to information and please subscribe or follow to join us on the next episode of Let's Talk Data presented by SAP.